Welcome to Apple at Work, the podcast all about Apple and the enterprise. My name is Bradley Chambers, your host as always. First time guest on the show, Mark Rand. How's it going, Mark? Awesome, Bradley. Thanks so much for having me. So I think if there's anybody that like I know in my networking sphere that like I would say when I think of like the um, the expert on previously owned Macs uh, at Enterprise and Education, it's you. So I think this has kind of been you know, really your brand and your hallmark is in your career. Um, you are now at Second Life Mac as the uh, director of procurement. So uh, give us the, we got a, we got some things we talk about, but give, give us like the high level elevator pitch for Second Life Mac. Sure. Yeah. So Second Life Mac is a specialist in specifically following the Apple device buyback market and assisting organizations maximizing you know their investment in their Apple products. So looking at um, making sure that you're getting the full useful life out of the products you provide to your end users, whether those are students and teachers or uh, you know knowledge workers, and also making sure that you're getting the full you know best total cost of ownership of those devices to help reinvest dollars back into new devices. So your end users are always using the latest technology to do their best work and doing it affordably and sustainably. Yeah, this is something even going back to the Intel days on the Mac, where I I would always argue like one of the big ROI components of, you know, when you're considering like if you were, say, considering like an Apple deployment versus like a PC deployment, the resale value on the Mac side was like something to consider, Mm -hmm. uh, especially when you get past that first one, because in my experience, if you maintain the device as well and you're willing to do you know, a little bit of legwork on getting these things ready to resell, you can really offset, uh, you know, anywhere from 20 to 30% of your next purchase with the the revenue from trading these in, reselling them. Uh, and it's certainly not something to consider because I just don't, I, I my experience, you've never, you'll never see that from a you know PC market, Like there's never seemed to be any demand for three-year-old PC laptops. Um, and I think it's just something to consider. Uh, again, even going back to the Intel days, has that been your experience as well? Yeah, it's correct. I mean, I I worked at Apple uh, in their education division for seven years. And one of the most common, um, I guess, objections that I heard from potential clients was, yeah, man, your stuff is so much more expensive than the competition. I, I, I can get a couple Dell machines for the price of a, of a MacBook at the time. And the the you know, the turnaround on that would be, well, when you sell or, or dispose of your non-Apple devices, those are generally looked at as scrap or, hey, we're going to pay you a certain amount of money per pound of equipment that we get out. And the Apple device, on the other hand, is built so well and there's so much demand for it in the secondhand market, you can sell those devices back to the marketplace for 25 to 40% of what you paid for it originally, even after three, four or five years. So that is not often um, thought of on the front end. And that's kind of why I have a job, because my job is to help organizations understand that on the front end to make more informed decisions and actually save money on buying Apple devices instead of, uh, you know, losing it on on buying non-Apple devices. So obviously, this has been a trend going back all my years as a Mac admin, um, but we really have seen, I think, a massive improvement in the quality of of previously on Macs with Apple Silicon, you know, as we record this, we're basically like just, just at three years um, from the date that um, 
the first Apple Silicon Mac uh, came out, that original MacBook Air, which is like still a great machine. Apple still sells it. Um, and I would even argue that like you could still deploy that today and expect to get like a good three years of use out of it. It's still a great device. Mm-hmm. Um, how what's been your experience in this like Apple Silicon transitions? Are, are people holding on to their devices longer? How's the resale value been? Is there, you know, just, you know, what's the what's the verdict here? Sure. Yeah. Um, I would say the average uh, lifespan uh, that we see end users holding their devices between three and five years is kind of the average that we tend to see. Five years is this great even number that a lot of a lot of schools look at. Um, but from a value standpoint, we tend to recommend something a little bit earlier. So because M1s really just came out at that three-year mark, we're not seeing a ton of them yet. Uh, but they do pop up and the values are incredibly high at the moment. Um, but that being said, you know, the vast majority of the machines we're seeing coming out of organizations now and over the last, let's say, year or so, um, are, are still primarily those Intel machines. And, uh, you even heard it, uh, at Apple's recent announcement yesterday, um, you know, they were doing a lot of comparisons on the new M3 machines to Intel machines. They're really pushing hard to say, Hey, now is the best time to, you know, move on from your Intel based uh, max because the speeds and the battery life are just uh, out of the out of this world. And the good news for users that are still using those Intel based machines is that the values are still strong. I mean, incredibly strong on those Intel machines. And uh, now, probably late twenty three and and for the entirety of twenty twenty four is going to be a very good time to uh, to sell your Intel based Max to move into those M based M based Silicon Max. Yeah, so you figure if you bought a, a fleet of Macs the summer of 2023, or sorry, 2020, which um, uh, you could argue maybe was the worst time to buy Intel, uh, a fleet of Intel machines because of what would come out over the next six months uh, with uh, in the next six months. But again, Apple made a pretty quick transition. So those machines are now three and a half years old. So a lot of those you know, leases are coming up to do. If it was a four-year lease, you've maybe got six months left. Um, the, you know, you've still got a nice return there on the Intel machines. And then... I would argue, you know, kind of price per to performance has has gone dramatically. You know, like the value has gone dramatically um, up when it comes to Apple Silicon, meaning that you can spend less money to get a really capable machine with Apple Silicon. Where there's, you know, I, you know, you would have struggled with the for a you know, typical knowledge worker for a school. Uh, you would have, I would have struggled deploying just like the base model MacBook mm-hmm. Air. Um, yeah. You know, the you know going back to the Intel days, like you probably needed to bump up the RAM. There's some things you need to do, but with Apple Silicon, again, not everybody, you know, the tech nerd in me says, no, don't buy the base model. <laughs> but when you're looking at, Hey, I've got about 5,000 of these to deploy across our organization. Um, we have these use cases. They're simple. They're typically going to be in SaaS applications all day. We just need a machine that's secure and easy to manage. Mm-hmm. Um, that stock MacBook air with Apple Silicon, you, you could make the argument that it's almost perfect and still is almost perfect. Obviously the new machines are great and there's new features in M2 and M3, et cetera, et cetera. But like for your just average person, that M1 is still a robust computer. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of the conversations that I have uh, specifically with education clients, you know, when you're talking about either student machines or teacher machines, you know, the vast majority of use cases, uh, you know, Checking email, you know, creating a, a small video project, doing doing some content creation, but mostly kind of a consumption side. You know, the M1 MacBook Air, that entry level first M1 machine, was fantastic. I mean, incredible battery life, incredible performance, um, super efficiency. So yeah, th- that's the 
the vast majority of what we tend to see. And then if you get into the uh, the enterprise world, you start seeing software developers and you know video production folks and and the professional side of the world. You know, will that get you by most of the time? You know, an M one uh, more than likely. Uh, but now we're seeing just incredible um, capabilities of you know the the pro level machines that just takes it to the next level. So yeah, you can't go wrong with the vast majority of users in that in that entry level MacBook Air. Um, but some of the performance we're seeing on the pro level machines is just something that, you know, Apple hasn't put out before. And I don't think anyone else is putting out just yet either. Well, and I think the new iMac is a good case point here where that the M1 iMac certainly felt long in the tooth compared to some of the other new machines that Apple had released. And obviously they have announced the M3 iMac. Um, and, and I think one of the big things here is, you know, um, the M1 devices were limited on external displays where the the newer machines are not necessarily as limited there and so i think again you're you're really going to start seeing in the next year some of these initial apple silicon purchases coming up for for trade-in um what are you again seeing similar return on investment for apple silicon over intel is it better is it worse what what's the initial pricing been on these trade-ins yeah, so so we base our tri- uh, our pricing primarily on the demand in the market, you know, the secondary market where we resell the machines after fully processing them, and the demand isn't slowing down. If anything, it's it's increasing. Uh, Apple's continued to increase their market share, and um, you know, Macs are becoming more and more pervasive. Uh, you know, I saw it uh, when I worked for an Apple value added reseller recently, where you know. A lot of those organizations are leaving the choice, you know, Mac employee choice is a real thing because uh, of how efficient an employee can be with it and how great their work can be. So, you know, education's always been this fantastic stronghold for Apple and they've done really well. It's been in their DNA since the inception of the company. Uh, Enterprise is just taking off like crazy. We're seeing a ton of Apple devices in healthcare. So lots of investment by these organizations to add Apple to their infrastructure. And so if anything, we're seeing demand increase for Apple. Does that mean the residual value in the uh, resale market is going to be even stronger? You know, yet to be seen, but I I really don't think the demand is going anywhere. So uh, the the pricing that we're offering, the values that we're seeing um, are staying very robust. This week's episode of Apple at Work is brought to you by Simple MDM, a powerful and intuitive MDM solution designed to simplify and streamline your Apple device management workflows. Managing and securing a fast-growing Apple device fleet can be overwhelming for companies of any size. Simple MDM offers powerful features and comprehensive device management capabilities to help overcome these challenges. You can automate device onboarding, enforce policies and restrictions, and customize settings with advanced configuration options available in the user-friendly interface. You can streamline application management by deploying App Store, VPP, and custom apps at scale, or offer self-service to macOS users with simple MDM's monkey integration. Don't let complexities of Apple device management slow you down. Simplify your workflows and unleash the full potential of your Apple devices with Simple MDM. Visit their website at simplemdm.com slash 9to5Mac to learn more and start your free 30-day trial. Thanks again to Simple MDM for sponsoring Apple at Work this week. Well, it's supply and demand here where if you're trying to save, you know, if you're trying to save, you know, 10% over a cost of a new machine, it's like, hey, uh, you know, we have a very specific use case. Uh, We're fine with secondary max. I can save 10%. I can save 20%, et cetera. The supply and demand is going to dictate the price. Um, Mm -hmm. And certainly, you know, if if there is, if people are holding on to max longer because Apple Silicon holds up 
better long term, then mm. you're ultimately, you know, going to see less trade in. So the supply goes less. So the price in some ways, the trading price has to go up. Um, you know, you mentioned healthcare, obviously education. What, you know, the iPad is obviously, um, you know, maybe has waned in popularity in the past couple of years, certainly compared to the, you know, the Mac has just been, you know, such an exciting uh, a device to follow uh, since Apple Silicon. Mm-hmm. How, what's the trend on the iPad uh, in terms of like, how are people holding on to them? How are the trade-ins holding up? And what are people buying? Is it, you know, we look at education, are they, are they going to the Air and the Pro or are they still buying that base model iPad? Yeah, we, we sometimes see some differentiation between student machines and staff or teacher machines. Uh, a lot of times uh, school districts will look at, you know, we want to make sure that our teachers have the fullest capability and, you know, they're doing more content creation and um, they, they end up going with uh, the Air or maybe sometimes the Pro. Or in some instances, they just do a higher uh, storage capacity entry-level iPad. The, the interesting differentiation that we're seeing is – uh, Apple keeping the iPad ninth generation around as long as they have, while also introducing the tenth gen iPad, this you know full screen USB C iPad, at, at you know two semi entry level prices. You know the the ninth gen iPad still going strong, still a very capable machine. You know lightning connector, home button, uh, and also a, at a two hundred ninety four dollar price point for education institutions. So a lot of schools on tight budgets are looking at that as the most affordable machine. Uh, and rightly so. And of course, Apple is, you know, in the midst of transitioning everything, including the the recent iPhone 15 and 15 Pro to uh, to USB-C. And so schools are kind of caught in the middle. A lot of infrastructure that's been built out for for Lightning in terms of charging carts and uh, the charging accessories that come with those machines. And then you know the transition to USB-C is very interesting. But we're still seeing the trend as being mostly iPad ninth gens right now, based on affordability. And, you know, the good news is uh, those are still very strong in terms of residual value. We're, we're projecting out, you know, very strong values on those uh, two, three and four years down the line. So not a bad investment from schools by any means, but uh, been doing it long enough where you see, hey, you know, as as those devices are kept available from Apple longer, uh, more and more education leaders are kind of like, well, if it's if it's already a year or two old as far as Apple's concerned, what do we want to do? Do we want to? You know, refresh our eighth gen iPads that were bought three years ago with what seems like just a generation newer in the ninth gen, or do we wait for Apple to do something? Um, my philosophy on that has always been, uh, and even at Apple, uh, it's not a bad machine for your students. You know, I'm I'm a tech guy as well, so I love having the latest and greatest. But you know, it was a good machine for students a year ago. It's a good machine today, and it'll still be a great machine for students two or three years from now. You're going to get tons of useful life out of that ninth gen iPad. So I wouldn't stop making a decision and uh, being paralyzed by you know, analyzing all the different options. If you're in need of a refresh, and especially if financially it makes sense, and we can make the argument that even refreshing your seventh and eighth gen iPads financially makes sense today. Um, you know, the ninth gen is a fantastic affordable option to look at. You know, I'm even in that same boat myself where it's not always about like the latest and greatest specs. Um, for me, even personally, like there are other things I consider, um, like I've got a pretty, I've got a little over two year old iPhone Mm -hmm. that, um, you know, like I, I, I haven't upgraded yet and kind of have, I thought about it a little bit, but also like, I, I, it's going to sound dumb, but like I kind of didn't, uh, want to 
I'm excited about the move to USB-C. I think it's a great move, but then it's like, I've got AirPods pro that charge uh-huh. with lightning and it's, and I know they can do max. If I, I realize that, but like, I'm just like, it's just laziness where it's like, I'm not ready to say like buy a new AirPods pro mm-hmm. because I kind of want to have USB-C for both. If I move my phone to USB-C and then you kind of think about that same concept for schools where like maybe your charging infrastructure is lightning and you've, you've got a lot of money invested in charging for lightning. And you're like thinking, okay, like the USB is USB-C again, it, you know, it might seem small, but maybe you've got, you know, custom cables or certain links and like we'd have to replace those. Like there are other considerations that maybe delay either that purchase or maybe make you think like, hey, we're going to buy maybe the older model because mm-hmm. we're not ready to redo that charging infrastructure yet. Um, yeah. And again, like USB-C is the way of the future. And I think it is great. But that does like there are caveats that schools are going to consider healthcare may consider uh, retail may consider um, because it's like again like let's say again I I think of like places I've helped where like they may have kiosks but they may not have used the stock lightning cables maybe they had to buy the six foot cables well you know you start buying let's say you buy a 10,000 iPads, you go, okay, we need 10,000, you know, um, six foot USB-C cables to charge this. Well, that, that changes the perception. Hey, maybe we have to have a construction team to, to re put, you know, remount these cables, et cetera, et cetera. There are considerations there. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I worked on a project with a, a grocery store chain when I was at the, at the value added reseller and it was, uh, we were able to do some custom cable lengths because of the universal, uh, um, level of USB-C. You know, we had tons of different custom cable options where they needed different um, kiosk modes for different iPads in different stores. And we had to go back and forth with the different, you know, right angle cables and all different sorts of custom configurations. So that is a, a boon for, you know, the enterprise market where they need that level of customization. You know, in the, in the education space, we see um, you know, with the advent of COVID, a lot of folks went one-to-one, you know, very quickly. And so now it's about the student bringing the device home and bringing it back to school charged. And the charging infrastructure may not be as important, but if they have, you know, a cart-based environment where, you know, hey, man, we're going to have to switch out hundreds, if not thousands of cords in a, in a charging cart, that makes a difference. There's a lot of, there's a lot of labor intensive activity that happens with swapping out that sort of, um, infrastructure. So it's, it's food for thought, but, um, in my, in my time in education, from what I've seen, and, and maybe you can echo this, usually it's it's budgets that speak loudest to what decisions are made. And uh, at this point today, the, the least expensive, most affordable iPad in the lineup is still that ninth gen, which is what a lot of folks are still are still buying. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, last question. One of the things that I think a hurt a lot of say education customers on buying previously owned devices was like some of the limitations around getting non Apple purchases into, um, Apple school manager, Apple business manager, obviously Apple's made some changes here over the years to make that, uh, is that, how has that kind of changed the perception of customers with secondhand devices? Because they no longer have that limitation where like, there's a difference in how they would manage the devices they bought directly from Apple or the ones they bought secondhand. Sure. Yeah. And, and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll clarify just to make sure listeners understand from Second Life Mass perspective, you know, we don't resell our devices back to schools, you know, institutions. We really do recommend based on our relationship with, with Apple education. We, we recommend, hey, buy your devices direct and new from Apple EDU. Um, most school districts have a dedicated field rep uh, at, at Apple education. And that's the route that I would tend to say uh, to go. But it did come up. We saw education institutions specifically, like their uh, P3 
PTO or their, um, you know, uh, random community organization would, would donate to, you know, hey, we bought 100 iPads for this campus from Best Buy. You know, great, this is awesome. Uh, new devices for the school. But it does present a technical challenge where Apple provides some frameworks with Apple School Manager to uh, connect the communication of that device between, you know, Apple and your mobile device management software. And that makes the management and deployment and daily use of those devices simpler for educators and those sorts of institutions. Um, there is a, uh, from my understanding, in, in conversations with Apple system engineers and, and other folks in tech departments, yes, there is a fairly manual process to add third-party purchased Apple devices to uh, Apple School Manager. It's not a tech professional's favorite thing to do when, when it's fairly automated. If you buy direct from Apple EDU or you buy from an Apple authorized reseller, if you're, a, uh, if you're an enterprise institution, they should come already enrolled, ready to go. They're already in your Apple business or Apple school manager instance, and you can add them to your mobile device management uh, right away for uh, instant um, deployment. So uh, wouldn't recommend uh, organizations buying used devices for institutional use, I would still recommend buying new machines from Apple. The vast majority of our customer base that purchases from Second Life Mac are end user like consumer level individuals. You know, we're selling devices on e-commerce platforms like eBay and Amazon, and that's where our market is. And they remain unaffected. You know, buying a used device, I've, I've done it. Um, I've bought a used iPhone before. And as long as that individual that you buy it from has fully factory reset the device and remove their iCloud account so there's no activation lock, um, you're free and clear to use that device uh, as you see fit. And that's, uh, we make sure our devices that are sold are, are in that same, uh, same capacity as well as um, securely data, data destroyed as well. Well, that was going to be my question. That's part of the value that you all, I mean, when you're buying these devices from schools, from, from different industries, like you're, you know, you're ensuring like, hey, when a customer buys this, they're not going to end up with a device that's like still tied to somebody's Apple business manager, Apple school manager, and gets, you know, re-logged into their MDM solution. So that's, a, that's you know, one of the benefits you all provide. Um, no, I think, I think, you know, things are great uh, for customers on both ends of the the buying journey today for whether you're wanting to buy used Macs uh, or again, even if you're just like wanting, if you're a school and you've got, you know, some iPads, that maybe, maybe it's like ahead of like standardized testing season. You have some iPads on Friday that stop working. Well, mm -hmm. you got to run, you, you don't have time to, to buy devices from your Apple rep. You've got to run to Best Buy this weekend and get them bought and get them ready for school on Monday for the standardized mm -hmm. testing. And now you do get the flexibility to kind of manage those in much the same way. So again, you're even just like, if you see a good deal on, you know, on, on Best Buy at Christmas and you know, Hey, we're going to, we're going to do some new project over Christmas with some special. So it's a good time. Um, Mark, great chatting as always. Again, I think there's a lot of, uh, I think it's a great time to be an Apple customer in, in the business world and education, because again, again, we're seeing, um, devices hold their value. And I think that's good for, that's good. It's maybe bad for Apple. I would say, cause maybe, <laughs> maybe people go four to five years on a, on a lease or, a, uh, they, maybe they let the lease run out and hold it for another year just cause the devices are still good. Maybe I've often said like one of the worst things Apple did for selling new Macs is to make the Macs so much, so much better. Um, but it, it's a great time to be trading them in cause the, the return on investment has just never been higher. Yeah. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. Um, there always will be um, the demand for brand new Apple devices because they're doing such a great job of innovating. So there's always something new 
Um, but there are this subset of folks that, you know, don't necessarily need the latest and greatest. And, and those are the folks that we serve providing those devices and excellent value for, for the organizations that, that do want to provide the latest to their students or, or, uh, or, or workers. So if you are, are listening and are curious about the value of your Apple fleet, you know, send us, um, send us an inquiry. You can find us at secondlifemac.com. Uh, you can send us a quote request at quotes at secondlifemac.com. We'd be happy to. We've got a dedicated team across the country. We've made a massive investment in hiring local folks uh, to to work with your institution to find out what's the best time to to sell your existing fleet. Where can we help you uh, with collecting that fleet and then uh, you know using that that extra money that found money in your in your residual value to put toward brand new machines to to help your folks do their best work. Yeah, we're gonna make that the title of the show. Uh, found money. That's a good way to because I mean, it, it, you know, if you don't, if you, if you kind of, it's kind of one of those things. If you're not, uh, if you're not, it's almost good to not be thinking about that when you're you're going through your new fleet because you realize like, hey, there's there's still money here. These are again, like you said, with with old PCs, it was like you're buying it per pound, and mm-hmm. uh, that's just not the case with Apple. So. Uh, uh, Mark, always always a pleasure to talk to you. Congrats on the new role at Second Life Mac. Again, we'll have a link to Second Life Mac in the show notes. So again, if you're um, a school and you've got uh, a big lease coming up, you're going to do a big refresh next summer, you've got 1,000 iPads you're sitting on, um, you can connect with Second Life Mac and and they can help you kind of process that trading quote. Again, it's going to save you a lot of money on your next lease. Um, what I found too is it can even, you can either just kind of make a big you know, big down payment or it can maybe make that first year payment on that next, on that next uh, finance purchase so again it's a it's a it's a win-win and um so yeah mark thanks for coming on the show and we'll talk to everybody next time